0: Captain on deck greetings from inside the simulacra. This is captain Hicks here. And uh, you know, this is a special episode because I was kind of inspired by this, this uh, series, the offer, because I, I, you know, I saw something about it. I thought, "Uh, you know, it's going to be that good. And, you know, I'd seen Miles Teller in one thing that I really liked prior, but I'd seen him in a lot of things I didn't like. And that was pre-Maverick. And so I I put it on, I have a list and I I put it on my list, but it wasn't really high on the list. It wasn't a priority. And then a good buddy of mine said, you know, you really got to check out the offer. This thing is great. And then he watched the whole thing. He said, this is one of the best things I've seen this year. So it took a lot to get my wife to watch this show. She did not want to see it and um we we started it and she was studying she was doing some other stuff and then she got pulled in and we both got pulled in and i think it's it's on a it's on a level uh that you don't see very often because a story within a story a story about how a story is made or story within a story that my best my best um analogy would be wicked right so you had wicked that did the story of the wicked witch right um afimel i forgot her name her name was really hard to say af afina afel afel afelafela somebody knows put it in the comments but um that was brilliant To, to to weave that story inside the existing story and weave it all in, and it and it and it was in a different genre. It was in uh, musical theater versus the film, and I thought this is just brilliant, you know. And that's why I won all the Tonys, and it's one of the most hailed um, musicals uh, in the last couple decades, three decades, right? <clears throat> so I'm not saying that. The offer is that level, but it's pretty darn close to be able to have an existing story where everything is bookended. You don't have that free form of being able to create because you have to you have to keep the narrative within the canon of the existing story. So it's very difficult. But not only did they did it, they did it really, really well. And to explaining how difficult it was to make the godfather in the 1970s and that al ruddy basically a rookie producer he produced one other thing and he had come from um the rand corporation uh, aka dr strangelove the deep state military industrial complex and then he transitioned over he did one film um that they'll kind of talk about kind of a b-movie and it wasn't really a B movie, but it wasn't, it wasn't a spectacular, you know, epic like The Godfather. And then because they were having a lot of difficulty with this film, uh, they he got it. And he got it because he he was a ballsy, can-do make shit happen kind of guy. Uh, really respect Al Reddy. I mean, this is really the Al Ruddy story. And Miles Teller plays Al Ruddy, and this is. I feel like it's Miles Teller's Blood Diamond moment. Remember how Leo was always in the kid roles and then he did Blood Diamond and all of a sudden, oh, he's a man, he's a man, he's got a beard, he's, he's a man. But he really, you know, he embodied a, I think this, and even though he was great as Rooster in Top Gun, he still was a boy in some ways. He was It was a coming of age kind of moment for him. But in this one, he's a man. And he's surrounded by just a fantastic cast. I think it's one of the best casts of the year. Uh, you know, especially when it comes to uh, Matthew Good. He, um, I don't know if it's pronounced Goody or "good," but, uh, and I've seen him in some stuff before. He was in um, Matchpoint. I know he was in Matchpoint. Uh, I know he's been in a lot of British stuff. I know he was in the Imitation game yeah i know that and uh i guess i guess he was in Watchmen. i i have oh gosh yeah he was osmantius in Watchmen. so yeah yeah no he's had some good he's had some good roles but nothing like this this i think he was the mvp of this series and bob evans is such a polarizing character uh, he turned it around for MGM with um, not only The Godfather, but uh, Love Story. He really took a risk on Love Story, and that paid off. And he was banging uh, his starlet. and He married her, uh, Ali McGraw. And, uh, and this has a lot about his relationship with Ali McGraw. And all the history with Steve McQueen and all that stuff's all in here. Uh, but uh, yeah, Matthew Goody, he, he just did such a great job as Bob Evans. Bob Evans, if you don't know the history of Bob Evans, too, not only did he turn around the studio, but later he became such a huge cokehead. And he was involved not only in some of the greatest films of all time. Love Story, Godfather, Godfather Part Two, Chinatown, which I hadn't watched And I watched it for the first time as a result of the offer, because they mentioned it a couple of times. That was just another great, great film. Um, But later he did the Cotton Club. And the funny thing, there's a lot of story about this Cotton Club. And a lot of people even refer to the murder that he was kind of involved in uh, as Manson 2. Because there were some links to Son of Sam and Manson, a lot of strange stuff. Bottom line, he had a huge coke problem. He was involved with a lot of really nefarious characters, and he um, had to testify. He pled the fifth. Nothing came of it. it was, a lot of people call it a cover up. What happened to his co-producer? I think his name was Roy 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 Reardon, Roy Roden. And he was a, he was a SOB, this guy, but then they, they, uh, they found him up in the Hollywood Hills, uh, uh, dead, dead, dead. He was stabbed like 20 something times. It was really brutal murder. And I even know Maury Terry of, um, um, that wrote the, uh, the son of Sam book, ultimate evil. He he actually was involved in all. So Bob Evans has a really nefarious background, but Matthew Goody did a great job. Uh, also Juno Temple. Anything Juno Temple is in, I love. I mean, I loved her in Dirty John. Love her in, um, um, you know, Ted Lasso. Just she just she just brightens up the screen. Um, but the the idea that that the godfather um and how you know how difficult it was with the mob at that particular time because see the godfather was on was the was a new york times bestseller for a year and but the mob didn't like it because they didn't feel like it portrayed them in a good light and so everything about how they had to acquiesce and negotiate with the mob to be able to get this film. And I don't want to spoil anything because it's such a delightful ride. And the less, you know, the better about all that, but, uh, Giovanni Rabisi, this is probably his best performance in quite some time. Um, I felt like early on, he was just a monster when, you know, you look at, um, you know what he did in Boiler Room, his you know his stuff in Avatar and Flight of the Phoenix. I liked all that, but this is his best role in some time. I wasn't a fan of Sneaky Pete, so I mean, seriously, since probably Avatar two thousand nine, this is his best work in my opinion. So thirteen years, um, but he just nails it, nails it as Joe Colombo. And um, I think um, I think I think he's gonna actually get a lot more roles after this. Um, but the things the things I really liked about it was primarily uh, the the intersection of what was going on in the creative process between Coppola and Puzo and their friendship and how they were able to uh jointly work on the the um script and how already being a rookie he took risks he didn't do all the studio normal uh process You like you know it was very rare for a studio to ever let a writer of a novel write a screenplay that was very rare and the fact they did that but it probably it would not have been as good if it if Coppola wasn't involved. So I think that writer with the director combo, I don't know why we don't see that more often. That should be that should be standard operating procedure for greatness. Just just do the things they did to break the cycle uh in The Godfather, and it, it'll work. Um, everything with the studio and how how you really had a, a maverick in Bob Evans and a maverick in Al Ruddy um, kind of pushing against the institutional bureaucracy of studio corporate um, uh, processes. And the, the guy that really uh, um, modeled that was Colin uh, Hank's character uh Barry La- Lapidus Lapidus is just he's the guy you hate and every time you see Lapidus in a scene it's like that's my fucking boss from from XYZ corporation oh that's him you know you know he's um you know he's 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 the guy in office space you know that's like where are your TPS reports right um so that whole intersects between the artists. So the artists of Coppola and Puzo and the actors and then the studio, Bob, Bob uh, and Ruddy, Ruddy kind of running in interference between Lapidus and, and Evans. And then you have um, Bull Dorn, who's the, the heading, the, the uh, MGM from a corporate side. And there's a lot of <clears throat> I like the business side of what's going on with the studio. I think I always find that really interesting. And then lastly, the mob, you know, how, how the mob involvement and how there is a lot of, it's so interesting that, um, Luca Brazzi was actually a mobster <laughs> that, that guy, that guy that played Luca Brazzi was actually a, a button man in, in, uh, Columbo's group. Really interesting. um, I think it's really fascinating though that I'm, I'm doing this right after we had three deaths. All right. You know, the rule of threes, right. Usually you have one celebrity death. You have two more. They always happen in threes or that's what we are, what, what we, uh, we've been taught to believe, but I, you notice that it really does happen where there's a tight formation of three deaths. So we had James Caan die and that was, that was sunny, you know, sunny Corleone, Santiago, uh, uh, Corleone and to see Sonny go down, which, you know, Jonathan E from, you know, rollerball. I love James Caan, James Caan in, in misery. I mean, come on, but to see Santino go down, that was pretty sad. Pretty sad. Then we had Henry Hill. We had um, Ray Liotta uh, from the Goodfellas. I did a, a, a trilogy the other day. And I, I watched Godfather one and two after I finished the se- season, uh, of of the offer, and then I was going to watch Godfather three. But see, I'm waiting to watch. It's they don't even want to call it Godfather three because it's not a tri- it's not a trilogy. That's how Mario Puzo and and Francis Coppola like to say. It's a coda. It's the death of Michael Corleone and they just remastered and redid a version of Godfather three. And I haven't purchased it yet. Cause I'm waiting for it on discount or to be on a streaming service. And um, so instead I slotted in Goodfellas, and it kind of really works well because you got um, Godfather set in the forties, forties and fifties you got Godfather part two, uh, 60 seventies uh, button up into the seventies, and then you got Godfather three seventies, eighties, uh, which you know I, I slot in Goodfellas. But to lose Henry Hill, to lose Ray Liotta, uh, you know what a what a great actor, and he had such a great career. Um, and there's something coming out. It just came out on Friday. It's called Bluebird, and it's a prison uh, series on Apple Plus, and Ray Liotta's in it. So. We're going to have um, uh, fun seeing Ray Liotta for his last time. And uh, and then I was thinking, okay, other than Goodfellas and Godfather, what's the third best mafia film ever? And then I thought about it, and it's like, it's not a film. It's a series. It's, it's soprano. Sopranos. Sopranos is the third best Italian mafia thing ever done. And you could put in other mafia, you know, groups, you know, Irish or Cuban or, you know, Mexican cartels and stuff. But I think it's Sopranos. And then we had Polly Chestnuts die. So in the Law of Threes, not only did we have three celebrities die at the same time, but they were all from the three best franchises in Italian mafia film screen history. Sonny, Polychestnuts. Chestnuts. Henry Hill. Wow. So um, not only, I mean, what a, I was so inspired. I started reading the book. First time I ever read the Godfather and I was just blown away how good it was and how it really did hold to the story. And by reading it, you get in one little aspect of this series, they, they talk about one of the conditions to allow the movie to happen See, for Sinatra was pissed about this movie being made because the character, uh, Johnny Fontaine, that was based off of him, was kind of made to look like a fool and a um, just kind of a rudderless ship, and he always needed his godfather to save him, and he was just kind of a, a Hollywood douchebag, right? And so, he didn't want to be thought of as a Hollywood douchebag because everybody knew Johnny Fontaine was based on. So he only, they cut it down just a couple, a couple scenes in the movie in the book, it goes into a lot more of Johnny Fontaine, especially like his lifestyle and what a degenerate he was and just his mindset was just kind of tweaked. But then you end up, I actually also, I found a little more humanity and, and I appreciated Johnny Fontaine a little bit more, but there was a lot more about The Godfather wanting to start getting into the film industry in the book. I really like that. Uh, there's more about Sonny Santino, James Conn, in the book, and there was a period of time when they took over the gambling rackets that Don, the Don, was was shot, and Santino had to take over, and he he showed that he really had. The ability to go to the mattresses, if you know what I mean. He was he was able to be a good wartime don. A little more about Tom Hagen's past. I really like that. So, if you've never read The Godfather, you got to read The Godfather. I'm doing the Audible, and I'm and and the beauty of the Audible has a foreword by uh, Francis Coppola, uh, and it's read by Joe Montagna who was in the godfather part three and he just does a fabulous job reading it so i've just gone deep down the godfather well uh uh, well and rabbit hole and and i just had a really good time it's all because of the offer and uh uh you know there's not a weak moment in the offer for me i think it is a very well it's perfectly edited the timing is is so good you get to the end, and you just are like, I want more. I actually think they could do more, but I think it'll be hard to pull everybody together. And, and it was so perfect, you don't want to mess with perfection. And then also, after finishing it, and I watched Godfather 2 again, and, you know, it is it's one of the best sequels of all time. But I would say, if, if Coppola... Did it any other way? I don't think Godfather Two would have been as good because he he pulled all the Vito early story into Godfather Two, and I think the story of Godfather Two wouldn't be nearly as good if it was um, if we didn't have Vito Corleone's um, backstory. The story itself is a little thinner. I don't think just Michael by himself without all the rest of the cast around him is as strong of a story. But when you throw in the backstory of Vito and especially everything that happened in Italy and Corleone and um, that that's what allows it to be on that same level. But uh, it's a testament to Coppola and Coppola recognizing that and understanding it and uh, making sure that that material was saved for the second film the godfather one two and three are all based on the one book the godfather because godfather part two was based on that same book and godfather three that was never that was never written uh that's a screenplay so i'm going to go into some more of the mario puzzo uh material that i've never done before and uh, i'm looking forward to that, uh, but I want to, I wanna, I'm, I'm just appreciate the uh, the offer because it's really put me uh, into a better understanding of this material uh, by by Mario putzo. Alright, but uh, one thing I just want you to always remember is to never forget to open your eyes open your eyes.